Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I'm happy to say Bread for the People has a new sponsor. Farmer Ground Flour was nice enough to sponsor Bread for the People, and I wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. Here's what I discovered. So it's a team of conscientious millers and farmers that was started in about 2009 by three friends, Greg Russo, Neil Johnson, and Thor Oxner. They're rooted in the Finger Lakes region, and they use local organic grains and focus on supporting local communities. They're committed to leading the growth of sustainable grain economy. Farmer Ground has designed their stone ground milling process to retain the integrity of the grain, allowing natural nutrients, fibers, oils, and flavors to speak for themselves. I particularly like baking with the high extraction bread flour. It's an 85% extraction flour that is sifted to remove a large portion of the bran while retaining the wheat germ, resulting in great flavors and nutrition. Go to farmergroundflour.com to learn more. I highly recommend Farmer Ground, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring Bread for the People. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today I have a very special guest. He gives bagel tours around New York City. He hosts a bagel making class. He is an expert on everything bagel. Please welcome Sam Silverman. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm bageled up. How are you, Jim? I'm good, man. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm looking forward to catching up with you today. I had the pleasure of doing your Instagram show about a year back. And I've been keeping up with everything you have going on. It seems like you're pretty damn busy. Yeah, lots changed in the past year. You know, I'm growing, you're growing, we're all doing our best. And uh, we've got some <laughs> exciting stuff in the works. Yeah, that's all we could do is our best. Um, so I want to give the listeners some context. Uh, you are known around the country as the bagel ambassador. You are very knowledgeable about all things bagel, the history of the bagel. You keep up with the uh the best bagel makers in the country. Um, so let's start with the interest. Where, where did this all stem from for you? This has been a lifelong passion. I don't even remember where it really stemmed from because bagels have always been my favorite food since I could remember. Um, and I grew up not even in New York. I grew up in Minnesota and Massachusetts eating the Einsteins and Dunkin' Donuts and Brugers of the world. And still, it was my favorite food. So you can imagine 
when I moved down to New York and the first time I had a true New York bagel, completely blew my mind and made me realize what I thought was my favorite food was a pale imitation of the real deal. Um, so I guess that moment right there, which I guess was in like 2015, 2014, 2015, around there, is right. when my mind was open to the possibilities of what bagels could be and set me off on this journey. So I'm probably your parents' age, um, and I'm just trying to compare. I, what I remember growing up in Long Island is bagels around us all, all everywhere. Uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, she was my girlfriend in high school. She worked at the local bagel shop in East Meadow, Long Island. She would come home and she would smell like seeds and like the, the smell of the bagel, you know, would, would stick for hours after you come home from the bagel shop. And then I remember bringing friends down from Rochester, New York in about 85, 1985. And for them, the experience was new. It was intimidating. They would walk into the bagel shop uh, and they wouldn't know how to order a bagel. Um, cause it wasn't mainstream, I guess. Um, and now it's mainstream everywhere, but I, I do wonder, even in New York, when did it come mainstream? Cause I talked to a lot of bagel people in the last couple of years and you know, there's been some great bagel shops around right since the early 1900s or is it the 1930s? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there've been a couple of milestones in the bagels evolution. So it's a bread that goes back to the 17th century in Poland, made its way to New York in the 1800s when Jewish immigrants came and settled in New York City and Montreal, um, which is why Montreal has its own style of bagel. And it's gone through several iterations over the past 150 years being a staple of New York. Now, I would argue that if you look at the bagel's history, one of the key milestones was the development of the bagel rolling machine and the mass production and commercialization of the bagel by led by lenders bagels uh murray lender and lenders bagels do you remember lenders bagels yeah i remember them from a show called wanderama when i was a kid they were a sponsor so wnyc channel 5 wanderama that makes a lot of sense because murray lender single-handedly went on a multi-decade multi-million dollar marketing campaign to convince the american public that the bagel was not just some niche jewish food but a staple part of an all-american breakfast and that is what kind of gave the bagel the kick in the pants to uh, become this part of American food culture that spread beyond the borders of New York City to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. So, and that, that happened in the 60s. So I think it's been like a slow evolution since the 60s. Um, and then of course, the internet has really accelerated things. It's democratized information that used to be held as closely kept secrets by the bagel union members and the bagel makers here in New York. Now anybody can look up a YouTube video and learn how to make an authentic New York bagel uh, with ingredients they can find at their local grocery store. Well, you've mentioned a couple things that I want to explore a little more. Um, and I've heard you talk about it. I think we talked about it when I was on your Instagram show. And quite honestly, I was faking my way through it a little bit. <laughs> I really ha haven't, I haven't, eaten bagels in Montreal. So can you tell us all, and, and, and probably a lot of my listeners know more about the difference than me, 
But what is the difference between a New York style bagel and a Montreal bagel? Different ingredients in a different process. So in New York, the classic bagel is made with five ingredients. It's water, high gluten flour, yeast, barley, malt, and salt. And in Montreal, they don't use barley, malt, and salt. They put honey and eggs into their dough instead. Ah. In New York, we let our bagels proof cold ferment for about 24 hours. In Montreal, they immediately boil the bagels after they make the dough. Uh, they also finish them off in wood-fired ovens, whereas here we use gas or electric, and they um, also boil in honey water. So they're getting like, there's a nice rich sweetness to it. It's a lot denser, smaller. There's a big hole in the middle. It's not as versatile as a New York style bagel. It's harder to eat as a sandwich. And the two main shops there don't even make sandwiches. You just go and buy a bag of bagels and have to get a tub of cream cheese on the side to do the old rip and dip. Um, but it's, to me, it's closer to like, <clears throat> you know, the street pretzels that we have here than it is yeah. New York bagel. I was, are they darker in color too? Because all that sweetness makes, uh, it will make in bread making that, you know, you put that much sugar or honey or anything sweet, it's going to make it browner. They definitely can be. I mean, the thing is the New York bagels span the gamut in terms of the, uh, the shades and colors you can find them in. So I'm not going to say it's like always darker, but yeah, I, mm -hmm. I, I think so. They're, they're pretty rich um, and they're delicious. If you get a hot sesame seed bagel out the oven at St. Vieter or Fairmont, the two main shops up there, it's a kind of unparalleled experience. But in my opinion, the bagel gets a little old after 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> and I'll take a New York bagel any day of the week. There you go. Um now, I don't know if you were being sarcastic when you talked about bagel unions or are you being serious? Oh, is there such is there such a thing and where does it is it still exist today? I'm being 100% serious. So, the city used to be controlled or the city's bagel supply used to be controlled by the Bagel Bakers Union Local 338. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it was a group of about 300 Polish immigrants, you know, Yiddish speaking tough guys that unionized to fight for better working conditions, better wages, and better benefits. Um, because back in the day, they used to work in terrible working conditions. The bagel bakers were stuck in subterranean basements with no windows, no air conditioning. They had to work such long hours that they would have to sleep on the bags of flour because there wasn't enough time between shifts to go home to rest. So it was really quite terrible and they managed to unionize to fight for better conditions and would renegotiate their contracts with the bagel baker, bagel bakery owners on an annual basis. And eventually, you know, it became a pretty lucrative and desirable job within the Jewish community. And so, you know, they, they took it very seriously. They would picket the shops um, that were using non-union labor to make bagels. They would, only allow the sons or the nephews um, of union members into the union because they wanted to keep the secrets of bagel making really closely and tightly guarded. So they were the ones that controlled the bagel supply from the early 1900s up until the 1950s when the bagel rolling machine was invented, which undercut their leverage. And eventually they dissipated, folded into a larger baker's union and disappeared for good. Wow. They, uh, I mean, I could only imagine how bad the working conditions were back then. And listen, it's even now it's a just it's a tough business. 
a lot of just like the pizza industry you know it's not easy to find workers these days um it takes a long time to prep and get this stuff ready it's pretty brutal i can only imagine what it was back then yeah it was it was tough um and today you know it's really fascinating how bagel making has developed so the best bagels are still rolled by hand by professional okay. bagel bakers and rollers that's what and i was going to ask you yeah so with the advent of the bagel bagel rolling machine was it widely used in new york because i'm not as familiar with the bagel short stores that i frequent using machines like that they're still hand rolled today even here in long island which i would argue has as good of a bagel as anywhere else in the New York tri-state area. Absolutely. Um, you know, so it seems like it might have helped it spread elsewhere in the country, but maybe not New York. Is that the case? It was used. It was used in New York, um, you know, sparingly. I think even today there are still bagel shops that are using machines, uh, and you, you may not even know it. Um, but, really? Yeah, but like... I, I, you know, I don't want to name any names, but there are several uh, well-known bagel shops that are using machines to help produce their products. Um, but you are right that the best bagels are still hand-rolled, and it's because bagel dough is a low-hydration dough. It's very tough. It's very resilient, and it's difficult to for a machine to handle that sort of dough. Um, and so when you roll it by hand, like these guys that are rolling them, have been doing it for years, decades, their entire lives. Their dads rolled bagels. They mm -hmm. learned from old members of the union. And that's not an exaggeration. I wanna tell you a quick story about the bagel rollers of today. Um, so the majority of bagel rollers in New York City are Thai men. And the reason for that is in the 1980s, the Thai government invited old members of the Bagel Bakers Union Local 338 to come to Thailand and train their people in the hopes of creating a bagel industry in Thailand. So they flew them over, put them up for several months, trained dozens of Thai men how to roll and make bagels. And at the conclusion of the training, all of those Thai men moved to New York and got jobs here because there were already established shops that were willing to pay them good wages. And today, the majority of bagel rollers in New York City are the sons and nephews and friends of those <clears throat> Thai bagel rollers who came to the city in the, in the 80s. Um, and so these guys have been doing it literally their entire lives. They learned from their dads who learned from the Bagel Bakers Union. And uh, that skill cannot be replicated by a machine. So that's why the best bagels are still hand rolled. That's fascinating. Has there ever been a documentary on that? Not to my knowledge. I would love to make one, though. I'm with you. Let's let's do it, man. <laughs> it's, it really sounds fascinating. It, it is, it's quite a, it's such a peculiar thing. Um, but you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's really cool to see, you know, the bagel has been this historically Jewish food, which were, we were immigrants here in New York, and now it's kind of shifted into other immigrant communities and it's giving them a profession and a livelihood, uh, that is sustaining them and their families. So it's kind of cool to see the evolution of it over time. Now, you talked about Polish immigrants coming to the United States and kind of kicking things off. With your interest in bagels, have you ever 
made the trip over to Europe and gone to Poland? And do you know if the Polish bagel in Poland, if there is such a thing, resembles anything like we have? So the Polish bagel, I'll put it in quotes, because a lot of cultures have a bagel sort of thing, like a, a round bread with a hole in the middle. The Polish one is called an obwarzani, and it is very similar to the pretzels that we have on the street corners. They're, they're, they're kind of like crackery in texture. They're a lot tougher. Um, they're like a hard pretzel. And you can sell, you know, you can get them on any street corner in Krakow or anywhere in Poland. I haven't been there myself, but um, I've spoken to many people that have visited and they say, you know, it's not, not as good as a bagel. But that, that is the food that kind of inspired, we think, inspired the bagel. Um, it was the Obarjani before, that led to the Jewish community creating the bagel. And the reason that the bagel exists, I'll just, you know, give a little more context here. It came from fairly dark roots. There were anti-Semitic restrictions that prevented Jews in Poland from working certain jobs, living certain places, doing certain things. And one of the restrictions was that they were not allowed to bake bread. And this was to prevent competition with the Christian bakers. So the loophole to get around it is that the Jewish bakers would boil their dough instead of baking it. And that is how the bagel came to be. They kind of looked at the obarjani and they said, hey, we can make something like this. We just have to boil the dough instead. Uh, and that is the origin of the bagel and why it's been such an important part of Jewish cuisine and culture since the 17th century. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, now, I would assume the cracker and texture feeling allows it to be less perishable, maybe. It's almost like a toasted thing. Because that's the issue with, uh, that I deal with. I'm sure that's the issue with all bagel makers. Uh, you have to kind of guess right in the morning or the night before as you're prepping this stuff because you're going to be stuck with a lot of bagels if you don't sell them because they're not sellable the next day. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I mean, that that is one of the advantages that the bagel has. When you boil it and you create that outer crust, it retains the moisture on the inside of the, you know, of, of the bagel so that you know, back in the day in, in 17th century Poland, they were eating bagels two, three days after they were made by dunking it in water, cracking it open, and then eating the dough out of the inside that was still mm -hmm. soft and edible. Um, and back then, too, the bagel was only two to three ounces large. It was pretty small and it was eaten as a snack or as a dinner roll. So it was, you know, it, it was very similar to the pretzel, but there was no such thing as cream cheese or lox or sandwiches, anything like that. It was a versatile bread that was relatively inexpensive and easy to produce. And it had the practical advantage that it would last for several days using that protective crust um, to keep the, the bread inside moist. Right. And that, that's great for the customer. When you buy it, you know it's going to last several days. But the bagel shops don't sell it past a day. Right? Correct. I mean, the bagel shops around here, absolutely not. You can get day-olds for cheap at some shops, but um, right. the bagels that you're buying at any self-respecting shop is going to be giving you something fresh that was baked that, that morning. Now, where did the uh, appetizing shops come into the bagel scene, right? Because the, the most famous of them all, as far as I know, is Russ and Daughters in New York City. 
which to me directly correlates to things you would buy to put on your bagel. Correct. Yeah. So Russ and Daughters, I want to get the year right. I think it was 1914. Um, and it was, it's now a fourth generation owned, you know, still in the, in the family, um, passed down generation to generation. And that, so in, in Jewish food, Jewish cuisine, you know, having kosher food is very important. And uh, one of the main things is you're not allowed to mix meat and milk. So appetizing shops take care of the fish and the dairy products, while the delis focus on the meat products. And so these have been important parts of Jewish and kosher cuisine since Jews have been in New York City. Um, they were important not just from a culinary perspective, but also they were a safe place for Jewish people to gather, uh, to get together, to discuss politics, to discuss current events. Um, and they really became these havens for Jewish people to meet up and build community. So they entered the scene in, uh, you know, in New York in the early 1900s. And Russ and Daughters has definitely been the, the longest standing one and the best known one of all the appetizing shops that existed. But you, you didn't used to buy bagels at Russ and Daughters. You would have right. to go to the bagel shop down the street to get your bagels, then go to Russ and Daughters, get your smoked fish, and then you would create that bagel cream cheese and lox sandwich um, or Nova sandwich for yourself at home and for your family. What's interesting about that combination is I feel like Russ and Daughters is more well known than whatever bagel shop might have existed in 1914 or what, you know, where you went to go get your bagel. I, I can't even name what that would be. Like yeah. what is the most famous New York City oldest bagel shop? The oldest one that I know of is Kosar's Bagels and Bialis, which has been operating in the Lower East Side since 1936. They are the oldest operating Bialy bakery in the country. Um, they didn't start making bagels until the 50s, I think, but uh, they are still around today making excellent bagels and Bialis. There may be a shop older than that, um, but that's the one that I'm the most aware of. And um, yeah, you're, you're right that, you know, Russ and Daughters has kind of surpassed the fame of any single bagel shop. And I'd be curious to know why that is. I don't have a great uh, explanation for that. And maybe I grew up in, in the Long Island bubble, but I feel like, well, in Queens, I feel like it's the Queens and Long Island bagel shops that were the names I remember. I mean, you, you say Lenders Bagels, you talk about them, and I, I remember them being frozen, right? Yep. Or, yeah, they were frozen. So I didn't equate that with Bagel Boss um, or, or things like that, chains like that. And then, uh, of course, Utopia Bagels. I don't know if that's an early one or not, but it's certainly famous. They're, yeah, Utopia is probably the most famous now. Uh, they've been around since the 70s, um, but they've kind of picked up in the social media, you know, age, I would say, in the last 10 years. But you're, you're right that like Lenders Bagels was an entirely different animal, entirely different beast than the local bagel chains like Bagel Boss, which has been an iconic New York, you know, Long Island chain since the 70s as well. 
Um, and Murray Lender realized that by pre-slicing, freezing, and shipping them all over the country, that he could, you know, he could make a fortune um, by introducing the bagel to places that didn't have them. So I, I think you wouldn't see it as much growing up in an area that had a bunch of bagel shops around because he was targeting, they were targeting more the areas that didn't have any bagels at all and kind of introducing it to those people. Now, a couple of things that he did to make it more popular and appealing to the masses was one, he made their bread closer to Wonder Bread, which is the popular bread at the time. So it truly is a bagel shaped bread, not really a bagel. And two is he introduced sweet flavors like blueberry and cinnamon raisin because he knew that the American public loves their sweets. And uh, to this day, Jim, the most popular bagel flavor in the country is a blueberry bagel. Can never you would have that? guessed that. Can I you believe never that? In a million years, would have guessed this. No, that's that's because that's how most people were introduced to it. Wow, I don't know. That blows my mind. Uh, I've been trying to, if not a bagel, like I, I am now specializing in this scacciata bread, which is a light, airy focaccia-like bread. And sometimes when I bring my food trailer to a farmer's market. I'm there in morning hours, and I've been trying to get people to taste this uh, cream cheese locks and red onion on this Italian light airy bread, and it's not going over, man. <laughs> it's not working, but I, it tastes amazing. I just can't people to cross over. They like they need the bagel. The bagel's actually heavier in in a lot of ways. Way heavier, way denser. Yeah, it's just this it's this iconic trio, the bagels, the cream cheese and the locks that, you know, people just so deeply associate with each other that it's hard to replace any one of those ingredients. Yeah, it's it's pretty damn wild. You, got it, though. you never know. You never know. Yeah, you never know. We get the right person to talk about it. Who knows? Um, so in terms of breakthroughs in the bagel business we talked about lenders you know so between the 70s and now what have been any if any major turning points in the bagel business there's been two big ones and one i know you're very familiar with yeah. is the creation of the everything bagel right which is how we originally started talking was uh, that's right you did some investigation into where the everything bagel came from right and found that there's no real there's no real clear answer right like several people kind of claim yeah. for it several it seems to be the kind of thing that uh it happens in comedy too in stand-up comedy you know people are reading the news they're living separate lives all around the country and they happen to tell a joke completely on their own and at the, around the same time, someone else tells a similar joke. And then there's this thing, who stole from who? I said it first. In my opinion, that's what happened with the Everything Bagel. Because you talk to all these guys. I think they truly came up with it on their own. I don't think they necessarily stole it. But around the same time, they found that they were using all these seeds from different things, from poppy to salt to this and that. And... Rather than waste them, they combined them. And a lot of people did it around the same time and had success with it. And, 
you know, just like I claim to have invented the prosciutto bite out of prosciutto bread. There's probably other people that have done it. Um, but, you know, in their way, they invented it. But you can't really, you can't really prove it. And they may have invented it around the same year, the same time. Who knows? Who knows? But regardless of who deserves credit for it, the fact is that everything bagel seasoning has become immensely popular, not just on bagels, but on everything. I talk about frequently the everythingification of everything because you can yeah. find it in savory foods. You can find it in sweet foods. You can find it on cake, donuts, and ice cream. There's everything seasoning by the bottle. There's everything seasoning on everything nowadays. And I think that has really helped the profile of the bagel in the past 40 years. You know what's hilarious to me about that is I swear this is true. The Italians are just discovering it. The New York Italians <laughs> just now in 2023. They're like, oh, my God, you know, you could. And I'm talking about guys that produce massive amounts of bread and have been in bread families forever are just starting to use everything seeds and talking about it like it was just invented. <laughs> I mean, it takes time for these things to, to make their way around. I'm I'm really curious to see what they do with it because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the everything bagel, and then I think I know what the next one is. Yeah, well, and I and I and I think there is a person credited with the actual invention of this. This is correct. Yes, the, the gonna, rainbow bagel. We're talking the rainbow bagel exactly. So Scott Rosillo was a bagel baker in East Williamsburg who invented the rainbow bagel, which is you know for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's got different layers of colored dough rolled together so it resembles a rainbow. Uh, Scott, who fancied himself an artist, not a baker, but an artist, came up with the idea for the rainbow bagel in the early 2000s and kept at it for years and years and years. And finally, in 2015, Instagram helped it go super viral. So Scott had been, you know, similar to like I said with your, your focaccia creation of just keep at it because you never know. Scott yeah. kept at it for, I don't know, a dozen years, making it for himself and his local customers. And then one day it goes viral on Instagram and it changed his entire life. Um, you know, it became insanely popular. It got picked up by the mainstream media far and wide. People were traveling to East Williamsburg from all over the world, waiting in hours long lines to try this coveted rainbow bagel. Which tastes exactly like a plain bagel. It, yeah. <laughs> well, Scott, to his credit, he made it, he really souped it up. He would put all these sweet cream cheeses, cotton candy, okay. all these different crazy creations. It was really like more the cake than bagel, in my opinion. Um, but it was, it was a huge success for Scott. Now, the rest of the bagel community reacted in horror. I mean, people don't even like, you know, bagel purists don't even like blueberry bagels, don't like sweet bagels, let alone a rainbow bagel. And so people called it an abomination. You know, they thought this is this is not a bagel at all. But it has been the perfect bagel for the age of social media, where everyone is posting their food all the time. And the rainbow bagel is so photogenic, that it's kept bagels on people's minds because they see them on social media and on the internet all the time. Kids love them, tourists love them. And I think, you know, nowadays, probably four out of five bagel shops are offering a, ba a rainbow bagel. 
Um, they may not, you know, make it themselves, but they found that it's something that people want and you got to kind of meet the customer where they are. We bought them this weekend. We had, uh, you know, so what is 4th of July weekend? My, my, my middle son was in from California. My brother was in and his family was in from New Hampshire. My sister-in-law was in from Connecticut. They all want bagels. They can't, they still can't get the bagels they want to get in these places. So we got bagels and of course we got rainbow bagels because they were kids and the kids love the rainbow bagels. It's just, they just love them. Um, but now speaking of this, I mean, we know it's possible to make a great bagel in Connecticut, which is only 50 minutes from Manhattan. And I keep kicking myself like I should ditch everything and I should do it <laughs> <laughs> because it's got to be like you just need the guys. You need the, the hand rolling guys. You boil it in your water. You use the same recipe. It's doable. Is the problem that they're buying these machines and they're making lighter, airier dough that could go through the machines so that it doesn't have to be hand rolled? So there's a couple of there's a couple of things that you'll find in bagels outside of the New York metro area. One, they could be machine rolled. Uh, another common method is poking a hole through a ball of dough, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't give it the same twist and texture as you're going to find. Now, which, by the way. You, you know, in my sourdough baking, and I've baked some bagels, uh, when you look up a lot of recipes, a lot of people teach you to poke a hole through it. Yeah, because they don't, they don't know how to do it the traditional way by, by hand rolling it. And it's, it's difficult to do. It's daunting. If you've never done it before and you don't have someone to teach you, it's not the easiest skill. So portioning out the dough and poking a hole in the middle is definitely the more intuitive and the easier way to do it but it doesn't result in the same texture at the end of the day that you're going to get when you get a true hand rolled hand twisted bagel and so i think that is certainly one big difference now jim i have had great bagels outside of new york and yeah. almost every time it's been a new yorker who learned how to make them here and moved out of the city somewhere else from Nashville to Denver um, and, you know, applied the knowledge that they learned. So people ask me all the time, is it the water? Is it the water that make New York bagels great? The water is helpful. We have a very soft water here in New York. It's low in the mineral concentrates that make it ideal for bread baking. And of course, like any other ingredient that you put into your food, it's going to impact the end result. That being said, while the water is helpful, it's not necessary. You can make great bagels without the water. And I think it's the knowledge and the skills and you know, the, the generations really of uh, institutional knowledge that exist here in the New York metro area and in Montreal um, that get passed down and down and down. So I think you okay. can do it. And I think people are doing it. Question. So in pizza... I believe it was uh, Chris Bianco in Phoenix, Arizona, that really, you know, was the guy who people said, this pizza here in Phoenix is as good as any pizza you could get in New York. And it is. Um, now, is there, a, is there an analogy here? Is there a bagel place outside of the tri-state area, 
somewhere else in the country that you could tell us about that if we're traveling, we should definitely visit and is a great bagel? There's two places. One is right in our neck of the woods, Pop-Up Bagels in Connecticut. So they are the two times winner of the best bagel at Bagel. Where, where is it? Where in Connecticut? They're in Westport, Connecticut. They have several different outposts that they sell bagels in. They just opened up their first brick and mortar in Greenwich Village here in the city. Really? But they are a Connecticut-based bagel, and they've beaten you know, the who's who of New York bagel shops at the past couple of Bagel Fest events, which is centered around a best bagel competition where everyone is gutting for this top prize. So pop-up bagels is one. And then according to the New York Times, the best bagels in the country are in California. They okay. cited in 2021, the New York Times published an article saying, sorry, New York, the best bagels are in California. And they cited Courage Bagels in, Boy in, uh, in LA and Boychick Bagels in Berkeley as bagel bakers that are making better bagels than exist here in New York. So really? those, are, those are the couple that I would throw out there that have garnered a reputation. Now, some would argue that Courage and Pop-Up are making not bagels, but bread, bagel-shaped bread that is you know, still delicious by all mm -hmm. means, but not truly a bagel if you wanna get nitty gritty into the details. Um, so it's, it's stirred up a lot of controversy. Uh, there's, there's hot debate in the bagel world right now over what constitutes a bagel and uh, who makes the best. What are these two places using the bagel for? Uh, are they making sandwiches, like traditional sandwiches, or are they doing traditional appetizing and cream cheese? Pop-up is traditional appetizing and cream cheese. They don't make sandwiches. You have to buy minimum three bagels plus a schmear, plus you can get the fish if you want. You have to make it yourself. And then Courage is on the other end of the spectrum where they're doing these really decadent sandwiches. And okay. they're using the bagel as like a base. Right. So they're doing, that's kind of what I'm doing with my food truck with Scotch Otter Bread. Because I'm, I'm taking a page from Tartine or Republic Bakery out in Los Angeles, right? And using my bread as the anchor to serve meals on. Yep. Um, Which I'm is like curious. very common nowadays. And it's, I mean, you know, the economics of it. The oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're not pumping out the volume that you can do in a New York bagel shop here where you've got thousands and thousands of people coming through your door and ordering online every day, then uh, you need that higher ticket price. Okay, could I, I'm gonna give you a lesson you didn't ask for in, uh, love it. in how this could backfire on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just before this call uh, got, uh, got off the phone with a, a fair here in Long Island to bring my food truck to. Cause that's right, I'm only doing this now three weeks. And you have to pay site fees. And they range from $50 to what I'm about to tell you. So they want $950 for me to park at this fair for eight hours for one day. That's before I pay my food costs, before I pay my employees. Um, so it's funny. Like one of the reasons I did this new business model is because of what you just said. I, I said, hey, I think I could... Uh, you know, get a higher ticket price. I could probably increase my profits by selling food instead of a loaf of bread for five, six, eight. I could sell sandwiches for 15, 16, and 
have a family and so on. But the expenses are crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not so. I don't know yet if it's going to be better or not. Um, yeah. It's, I, just, I mean, it's not. I throw that in there. <laughs> no, no matter which way you slice it, it is not an easy. And, you know, if it was, everyone would do it. And then you'd have to go the other way again. So it's yeah. finding what you do really well and doubling, tripling down on that. And, uh, you know, trying to be the best. You know, I, I was laughing when you said, uh, what's his last name? Uh, Scott. Rizzillo. Rizzillo. Uh, what, what bagel store is he from, by the way? The Bagel Store. The Bagel Store. That's what it was called, yeah. But he refers to himself as an artist, you say. I kind of like to think that, too. I just, I just said, you know, the other day my wife's like, you have, you're adding items without me knowing. You can't do this. You have to tell me. And we're supposed to simplify things. And I'm like, I'm an artist. I got into this <laughs> from film and television because I want to create art. But she's right. You know, it's like you can only fit so much stuff on this 12-foot truck. Um, but it is what keeps me inspired is like trying these new things. And it's, it's good for artists to have constraints sometimes, right? Like that oh, yeah. can actually foster creativity so true. in unexpected ways. So, you know, I lean into that. And speaking in that, I've really been studying how to – I do these bread bowls. So then the question mm -hmm. is, what do you put in the bread bowls? And, you know, I have a, a, an Italian slant on the truck. Um, not everything has to be, you know, that, but it's whatever. It works for me. It works for the customer base. Uh, and I've been trying to figure out – the only heat source I have on the truck is a pizza oven. Hmm. Uh, it's a Gosney Dome pizza oven that burns – about 900 degrees, maybe the surface will get down to 650. But I've, how do I prep pasta in here? And I figured it out. I have figured out, you know, how to do it so that you're getting an al dente, freshly made pasta in a bread bowl off the truck. And Ooh. it's only because of the constraints. Um, so I do think it's pretty awesome to have constraints. That sounds what they are. I, would, yeah. I would love some fresh pasta and a fresh bread bowl. I mean, that sounds yeah. like carb heaven right there. It is. It's a lot of carbs. You need a nap afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so we'll wrap things up. I, I do want to hear about Bagel Fest, how long it's been going on. Um, I know I was, I was trying to get there last year and couldn't because of uh, my farmer's markets. Are you doing another one this year? We are, yeah. The fourth annual Bagel Fest is taking place October 21st and 22nd. We're moving it into Manhattan this year, so we're, we're jumping across the bridge from Brooklyn into wow. Chelsea. And uh, Where in Chelsea are you doing it? Um, I can't say okay. the venue quite yet. It'll be coming soon, mm -hmm. but it'll be, you know, it, it's a great new venue in the heart of the city, yeah. and I think it's going to help the event grow. I mean, we had over 2000 people, 35 vendors over the course of the weekend last year. Um, and I'm, you know, that, that's coming from, we started with 350 people and zero vendors in like an artist space in Bushwick. Uh, and now, you know, it's, it's grown quite immensely into what it is today. And I think it's going to continue growing as the bagel industry's sole trade and consumer show. Um, and it's really an opportunity for all these vendors, who it, it's a platform for them to show off what they do uh, to a really targeted and enthusiastic community who's excited to engage with them 
in addition to lots of industry suppliers, uh, people who, you know, who work cream cheese, coffee, smoke fish, whatever, who are there to network and, and try to facilitate new relationships uh, and business and trade and commerce um, with all of these amazing bagel shops that are there. So it's, it's turned into both. There's a consumer element to it mm. and a trade element as well. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to grow this thing and satisfy kind of both, both customers, both types of customers. So I've had this conversation with, uh, about pizza fest, uh, or the pizza expo, sorry, in Las Vegas. And I know they have other cities they do it in, but, um, I talk to people, pros who go and attend and, and it's mostly an industry festival. Yeah. Um, but they do a one day consumer event mm. uh, out of the three days. And then they go heavy industry with panels and people that I know in the business from New York and the rest of the country fly in and make the plans around attending it. And it sounds pretty damn awesome. But it is two completely different things in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And it look, this has been an unexpected evolution for me. I mean, I started Bagel Fest because it was an event I wanted to go to as a consumer. And that was the approach that I took with it. I didn't imagine it was going to turn into this industry professional trade show and have this whole element to it. And so now, you know, what you just said makes a whole lot of sense is dedicate one or two days to one side of things and another one or two days to, uh, you know, to the consumer side of things to help satisfy both, both, both types of customers. Um, but this year is going to be great. We've got some amazing vendors lined up, some amazing sponsors. You know, moving into Chelsea, I think, is just going to help with the accessibility of it, uh, draw an even bigger crowd. And, um, you know, Pop-Up Bagels has really shown what you can do by winning the Best Bagel Award. They were a pandemic project that started in Adam Goldberg's backyard over the course of pandemic. And, you know, a few years later, they win the Best Bagel at Bagel Fest, and now all of a sudden... You know, they're the most viral bagel on TikTok and Instagram, and they're all over the place. And they've got celebrity investors like Paul Rudd and Michael Phelps and, you know, all of these crazy big names that are helping them expand nationally. So it's a pretty it's pretty cool to see what people have done with the platform um, and what it can do for these small mom and pop shops that may not have marketing resources to compete with the big corporations. Wild. I'm interested in uh, learning more about that. Yeah. And, uh Tickets will be on sale for Bagel Fest starting when? Uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, by, by the end of July. We're still shoring up a few details. And uh, the event takes place October 21st, 22nd. But we'll have tickets on sale by the end of July. All right. And we could all follow the Bagel Ambassador on Instagram. Or what's the exact handle? Bagel Ambassador. That's what I am on Instagram. Um, and, you know, you can follow Bagel Fest as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, this has been great, Jim. I appreciate it. It's great to catch up with you and yeah. I hope we can make it work for, I know you were talking about collabing with bagel boss last year on your prosciutto, your prosciutto I'm bread. I'm still interested in it. I'm still okay. Well, let's make it happen. It. Let's make it happen. All right. We'll talk offline about that. Sam, it was good to talk to you. I hope this to be at bagel fest this year and, uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Sounds great. Thanks, Jim. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. 
Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone. Bread.